0: This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 256.
1: So, taking the, even your negative qualities and saying what context would allow these to be strengths, you know, all of these are really, really critical. So, I think success comes down to alignment between your unique abilities and an environment that rewards them. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors, large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate
2: investing online.
0: What is going on, everyone? This is Brandon Turner, today's host of the Pockets podcast, here with my guest co-host, is that okay you're the co-host today? I'm usually you're the yeah, host and I'm the co-host. I know, you're usually the co-host, right? I mean, usually, but today I do. I, I just took it. You know, what are you gonna do about
2: it? Yeah, no, uh-huh. you own it. I'm definitely whatever the inferior one is, that's me. <laughs> I'm the co-host. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well this is. Anyway, Dave, I'm David Meyer, Dave Meyer and I have been I think I've I was I was I've done a couple of these, but I think I was I was sent back down to the minor leagues for a while. <laughs> get some training and now i've been called back up to do this one spot start for for josh because he's not able to be here today well good well i'm glad that you're
0: here i guess up from the minors if you say that i I thought you were i thought you had graduated onto like i don't know
2: sitting in the oh yeah that's what we'll tell people yeah okay i'm too important now to be (laughs) posting the podcast i'm off doing crazy things
0: well today was a good episode to have you back on today i thought was actually one of my favorite episodes we've done and it has well I don't want to say nothing to do with real estate, but it has it's by not a real estate investor, right? But it does have a yeah. lot to do with real estate.
2: More just entrepreneurship, just yeah. really good advice for entrepreneurs that can definitely be applied to anything as it comes to real estate. Yeah, very much. And we use a lot
0: of real estate examples in here, but it was cool getting like the perspective of an author who's written a book that I really like. We'll talk about that later. Uh, but before we do, let's
2: get to today's
0: quick tip.
2: tip. You want to take it? All right. So today's quick tip is to subscribe to Bigger Pockets YouTube channel. If you've Why not done I do this that? before. Why? What? Why would I do Why? that? Why? <laughs> because we are pumping out more video than we ever have before. We're actually getting on a schedule. Where we're probably going to be releasing three to four videos per week. Now, if you already watch the podcast on YouTube, good for you. That's awesome. If you don't, though, go on there and click subscribe. We have a new series coming out about Airbnb investing. We have a new personal finance show called Low Budget hosted by yours truly. Um, And we have all sorts of awesome content that's coming out. So if you are interested in learning even more about real estate than you are by listening to this podcast, Go to youtube.com slash biggerpockets, subscribe, and you will get all the newest content right there for you. That's awesome. It's low budget. Yeah. I, I've never heard anything about this. What is this show? So we've, Tell me We filmed three of them. Really? Uh, it's low budget because we have no budget and we started <laughs> it with no idea. Uh, but it's me and actually my real estate agent, who's my friend, Andrew Keel. Um, and we t- it's mostly like news and personal finance. So uh, we talk about everything from... What Bitcoin does, and if there's any impact on real estate investing, to the effects of gentrification in real estate investing. And it's only about 12 to 15 minutes, so it's really quick. We talk a little bit, we make fun of each other a lot. So come check it
3: out. It's a good show. That's awesome. I'm excited for that. That's really cool. All right. Well, before uh, that was a good, that was a really good uh, quick tip. So nicely done. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Want to dive deep into commercial real estate, entrepreneurship, leadership, and the economy? Tune into the Walker webcast hosted by the CEO of Walker & Dunlop So fire up the Walker webcast on your favorite podcast app or join live on Wednesdays to see Willie interact with his guests. Plus, you can always catch the replay on demand afterward. Stay ahead of the curve with Insights for Life from the Walker webcast. Learn more and subscribe to the Walker webcast at walkerdunlop.com slash pockets. And be sure to follow Walker and Dunlop on all your favorite social media channels, too. That's walkerdunlop.com pockets.
0: With that, I got nothing else unless you got anything else. I want to get into the show. No, let's do this thing. All right. So today's actually uh, guest comes from uh, – let me, let me back up. Today uh, – back a few weeks ago when we had Tim Ferriss on the podcast, he told a story about how he first heard of BP – was through a friend named Jordan Thibodeau, who's a good friend of ours, works at Google. And actually, that's how we ended up getting connected here with our guest today, Eric Barker, because eh, Jordan is a super connector, which you'll hear more about that later today on the show. Uh, but basically, Eric Barker he has a really humorous, funny blog, Barking Up the Wrong Tree, also a book by the same title that is fantastic. Basically, he presents science-based answers and expert insight on how to be awesome at life. Like the tons of like psychology studies and science that show like what actually makes somebody successful. He's pretty awesome. Uh, So with that, I don't don't know, like that's, he's awesome. Just we'll leave it there. He understands what makes people successful and he can back it up. So with that, let's bring him in. All righty, Mr. Eric Barker, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast. How you doing?
1: What's up? It's great to be here. Thanks so much, guys.
0: Yeah, this should be a lot of fun today. Uh, so, you know, as we uh, mentioned in the introduction, uh, you're not a real estate investor. And so this is one of those shows that we talked to some of my favorite business authors or people that have written books that I think or that we think can benefit our audience as a whole. And your book really in a lot of ways, like as I was reading through it, I kept going, oh man, it's so good. Like I, I like highlighted and probably underlined and circled like a thousand things throughout your book. So uh, we're going to go through every one of those in order today. <laughs> <And> <laughs> this is, be a, that is hour... a live reading of the <laughs> <laughs> audio book. <laughs> yes. Did you, did you, do you have an audio
2: book version of this as well, by the way? Yes. Okay. Did you yeah. record it yourself? Oh, we don't even need to record this. We could just do no, we could no, just play no, that. No, I didn't. Okay. Well, today's your I, chance. I so yeah. yeah you... <laughs> okay. Let's
1: start with page one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So why don't we, why don't we actually start with a little bit who you are I mean, who are you? What do you do? Where'd you come from? And, uh, How'd you get in this thing called like
1: life? Oh, um, <laughs> I ba- basically uh, i I went to sc- uh, college and studied philosophy, which really didn't seem to prepare me for much. And I worked <laughs> in Hollywood for ten years, writing for studios like Disney and Fox and. Those were weren't transferable skills, and uh, then I worked in video games. Didn't have any transferable skills there, and then I started a blog, which doesn't really require any transferable skills. So I was in good shape, but basically, it's like I had you know bounced around a bit, and I had these big questions because I wasn't exactly sure. I had such an unconventional career, and you know these old maxims on success didn't seem to spell out didn't seem to work out so well for me. And that's that's honestly where the blog, the book came from. I had a lot of questions and. You know, so I started this blog, trying trying to find like what's true. What and so I started to go looking at scientific research. And on the blog, I just started posting, you know, stuff that either confirmed stuff that we all thought or disconfirmed it. And uh, luckily, you know, the uh, blog got some attention. And then I really attacked the issue of success directly with the with the book and started to start crushing some myths uh, that I that I found along the way reading all this, this scientific research.
0: Well, maybe we can maybe we can start with that. Like, what, what do you think? you know, what's like probably the largest myth that you think is incorrect about success? Like what do people like everybody assume about what makes somebody successful? That just is not true that, you know, of?
1: I mean, the, one of the things I talk about in the first chapter is just the issue that it's kind of one size fits all. And, and it's, it's really not, um, you know, basically a lot of people, you know, it comes down to exercising signature strengths and in the academic research, that basically means doing stuff you're uniquely good at. And, what it comes down to is the issue of finding out what you're good at and then aligning the environment with that. We all have things we're good at, but you don't necessarily find a place that rewards those. So some people can be in a quote-unquote great company or in a great business, but it doesn't utilize what they're good at. Or some people can be good at something, but they haven't found a place where that is. It's aligning what you're good at you know, with the right environment. And another interesting angle that I found in uh, talking to uh, Harvard Business School professor Gautam McClendon, Was this idea of intensifiers and basically we're always thinking about you know like i said signature strengths what you're good at intensifiers are qualities that at the average at the mean are negative so we always think about like oh you gotta get rid of those negative qualities well no actually in the right context those negative qualities can be positive you know if you're argumentative you know you might say oh my god and that is terrible for your personal relationships but you might be a fantastic litigator You know, you might be stubborn. Okay, well, stubborn can be really bad. But if you're an entrepreneur and you're not stubborn, you're not persistent. You're going to give up. So, taking even your negative qualities and saying what context would allow these to be strengths, you know, all these are really, really critical. So, I think success comes down to alignment between your unique abilities and an environment that rewards them.
2: Yeah, that's great. I can tell my girlfriend all those negative qualities are actually (laughs) strengths now.
1: I appreciate that well you know, like i'm i'm still working on, it's a multi-day negotiation i'm still working on that one
2: i make fun of it i'll with, talk to you offline about that later <laughs> you guys
0: can have a little support group it's good I, I make fun of josh a lot i tell him that the reason bigger pockets you know uh, josh is the ceo of bigger pockets and so he started bp like what fifteen years ago now, Dave? I think something like that. Anyway, and like, like uh, for the first like ten years, like it was just a blog that was struggling. Like you, know, I mean, Eric, you built a blog. Like you know, it takes a while to build up traffic and people there. And yeah. like Josh, like I say, the only reason Josh succeeded, I mean, besides being you know a smart guy and all that, is he was just stubborn. Like he just like, he's one of the most Absolutely. stubborn people I know. I'm like most like he even has joked that he was too stupid to know he should have quit. You know, like yeah, you know, so like how, yeah. that's that perseverance kind of thing that a lot of entrepreneurs. Either have or don't have. So, do you have any tips on? I mean, how can somebody become more perseverant? Is that a word? Am I making that up? Perseverant. <laughs> it, is, it
1: is now. Okay, it good. is now. It is now. Perseverant.
0: How, how does somebody become per- more? Perseverance.
1: <laughs> um, no In the in the uh, in, in the book, I also talk about the issue of of grit because everybody's talking about grit these days. Yep. And 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 I also set up the idea that you know grit isn't always great. We do need to quit things. But in terms of grit, there, there are a few things that really do pay off in terms of the research. And the first one is an optimistic attitude, which you know everybody kind of promotes you know, being optimistic. But when you think about it, it's, it's pretty intuitive. If you, are, if you are enthusiastic and truly believe that things are going to work out, persisting is easier. If you don't think things are going to work out, things seem futile, and you stop. But so just so I don't sound like a bumper sticker or a (laughs) T-shirt, there is, you know, research on how do you develop an optimistic attitude? And what it comes down to is what Martin Seligman at University of Pennsylvania calls the three P's, which are basically personal, pervasive and personal, pervasive and permanent. And that is, if you see positive things as personal, I'm responsible for them. I did this pervasive. Hey, this good thing is going to affect all areas of my life. And this good thing is permanent. It's going to keep going on that. Those beliefs build optimism. If you see negative things as personal, it's all my fault. If you see negative things as pervasive, this is this, this bad thing's going to affect every area of my life, and it's permanent. This negative quality I have is going to just keep on. Then you're going to tend down. So basically it's listening to that self-talk in your head. We all say 300 to 1,000 words to ourselves every minute and Whoa. basically taking those <laughs> those negative three Ps and questioning them. You know, oh, it's all my fault. It's really all your fault? I'm sure someone else has some blame <laughs> here, too. I mean, you know, questioning is this pervasive. Oh, it's going to affect every area. It's going to affect every area of your life. When you're home alone watching Netflix, this will not affect you. You know, I mean, so questioning those and trying to make the, those negatives that seem personal, permanent, and pervasive, making them more positive, that can help you develop a more optimistic attitude. And that has been shown to, to increase grit and persistence over time.
0: All right, so let's let's use the example of because this is a real estate show. We're t- let's let's say somebody wants to buy a rental property. They want to become a landlord, start building, you know, wealth and passive income. Most yep. people that I know, though, that get into real estate, that that try to start investing, I would say the majority, if not the vast majority, quit. They stop at some point. So now we want to encourage them to do more. So the three Ps were again it was uh, pers- personal, right? Yep. So in other words, like right. their like they is it, is it like they can do it? Like I believe I can do it or um, you know, what I've done so far has got me here.
1: Uh, yeah, basically it's like people, people want to see the positive things as personal and the negative things as less personal, okay. you know, in that, in that if, if you achieve something, I am responsible for this. I did something good. And when negative things happen to be able to believe that at least in part, Hey, it's random chance. It happens. It's, it's not my fault. Okay. Now, again, you have to be careful of going into utter delusion, <laughs> uh, but it's like, if you want to persist. To believe you know that everything that's negative is is your fault you're not going to last really long so you have to you have to try to say to yourself if things don't go right you know hey there's an element of luck here other people are involved i can do this
2: well it sounds brandon i totally agree that people do quit and i think people like what you're saying eric is that people need to take responsibility and be proud of the steps that they take incremental as they may be, even if it's you haven't bought that property yet, maybe you're proud of yourself for going out there and analyzing 10 deals or learning something about real estate. Take responsibility and be proud that you are moving towards that goal. You don't have to only see that final thing as success.
1: No, you're absolutely right. Uh, Teresa Amabile did uh, research. On, uh, she She's a professor at Harvard. She did research that basically showed the single most motivating thing is a feeling of progress. If people feel like, hey, I took that step, I learned something, I analyzed those deals, I did this. If you, When you stop feeling like you're making progress, that's actually what leads to true burnout. And when you feel like you are making progress – that's what is the most motivating thing. I mean, when you look at the best example is video games, you know, it's like you get that little thing, you score another point, you pass another level. And that's why people get addicted. And and, and your taxes do not feel like that. It feels futile. And it feels like it's never going to end. And you don't feel like you've achieved anything. And then it costs you money.
0: That makes a lot of sense. So, so progress. So, okay, so let's go back again to the real estate analogy here. So you got somebody who's wanting to buy rental properties. And so, you know, if every day they're just sitting around thinking about it or, or listening to maybe a podcast on it, but they're not making progress forward. That's likely why they're not moving, right? They're not moving forward. They're going to get burned out. They're going to quit. Right. So instead we make little steps of progress. So maybe, yeah, like Dave said, you're analyzing some deals. You can be proud of that. You just did that. And then maybe you went and found a real estate agent or you went and, and took the next step there. Or you went and looked at a property in person. Like you, you know, each step, kind of gets you a little bit further. I mean, am I I thinking about this correctly?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what's really critical in terms of getting stuff done like that is is in terms of making it a habit because it's really hard to motivate yourself to – Always get up and do something, as opposed to if something's habitual, if it's part of your routine, then it's it, you don't have to think about it. It doesn't require that level of effort. And exactly what you're saying is kind of that incremental small approach is critical because B.J. Fogg does, does behavior research at Stanford. And what he talks about in terms of building habits, which I just think is brilliant, is he talks about – minimum viable effort. Basically, it's like do the absolute minimum because the the important thing about a habit is consistency. So don't worry about how much you're doing at first. Just worry that you're doing it every day. So he'll say stuff like, you want to floss your teeth more? Floss one tooth. One tooth, yep. Floss one (laughs) tooth. Because if you can't do that, You've got bigger problems. You know, it's like (laughs) you make the bar so low that you are going to, there's no excuse for not doing it. You're going to beat yourself up. You can floss one tooth. You do that for a week, great. Floss two teeth. I mean, just, you know, it's like you can't close a deal just yet. Okay, analyze a deal. Analyze one deal, analyze two deals. Okay, you know, what do you need to do next? It's just setting up that little minimum viable effort and then increasing it as you go. That's the other one of the other things I talk about in terms of building grit and persistence is making things a game because like we were saying games are addictive yep. and that feeling of progress that feeling of that next achievement those things are critical they help to build habits habits make things easier and then the next thing you
0: know you're making progress and and you're really not even having to think about it That's funny I mean you know I use that app on my phone my fitness pal use that thing at all. Like you track your calories, like, and every day it's like, Hey, you logged in for 18 days in a row. And I'm like, Oh, I got to get 19. You know, like I, they've gamified that that program so well that like, I've got to do it. I got, I can't skip a day. And so, uh, yeah, that's great. Metrics. Has
2: has your research, have you uncovered anything about accountability? Cause I know I've read a bit about telling other people about your goals or having some external validation of your progress actually being helpful to achieving a goal.
1: That it's that's a really interesting area because it's it can be super powerful, you just have to be careful about how you do it. In terms of telling people about like your dreams and your aspirations, bad idea because our brains can't really tell the difference. We're, we're not so good at telling the difference between internal reality and external reality. That's why that's why movies are so exciting because you don't perceive them as stuff on a screen. If you said, "Oh, those are just thing, those are just pixels on a screen," it wouldn't be exciting. On the other hand, if you if you actually create external accountability, that can be incredibly motivating. So, one of the the thing I recommend to most people in terms of ultimate solution for procrastination is basically take $100, give it to a very trusted friend. And say if I don't do X by Monday, you keep the hundred dollars. If that doesn't work, give your friend two hundred dollars. <laughs> keep upping it. Trust me, you will. And in fact, there's a, a there's a website. I think it's called stick.com. Yeah, S stick, T yeah, I uh, S-T-I-C- C. Yeah. There you go. S-T-I-C- it does it for you? KK, K-K Yep. Yeah. Oh, wait, they take it to another level. Yeah. Uh, basically, uh, they they will charge your credit card the amount. They'll they'll refund it if you do the thing. And they will donate that to like the opposite political party yeah. or to a group. Oh, of oh,
2: or, oh and, my god, that's amazing!
1: That, what's critical? What's critical though is you give the money up front. You have to be behind the eight ball. Yeah. Not I'll give you a hundred on Monday. It's no, I already gave you the hundred. If I want it back, I got to do what I said I'm going to do. And it's an incredible solution. The only problem with it are many people understand immediately and viscerally how effective this is and are often scared to do it yep. but it's very effective if you implement it so i recently did that so
0: i got a buddy named chris huntley um at, he and i met at this we have a conference called fincom we go every year we met there and we're talking about fitness how we want to both get more in shape and so we yeah. both set stick goals for like the anti-charity and we put 300 on the line and 300 i mean it's a chunk of money but it wasn't like life-changing but it was to an anti-charity that i did not believe in and so, like I, and, like for me, it was like a certain like waist width around like where the belly button is, right? So like every day I monitored that. And the last two weeks, I didn't eat. Like I was like horribly unhealthy. Like this is not what you're supposed to do. But like I was, I was behind, and I was like, I will not give my money to them. So like I, yeah. I starved myself for two weeks. I ate like like a hundred calories
1: a day. You know, it's like as little as I could, <laughs> and I, I did it. I hit the goal. <laughs> I, 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 I was in the emergency room, but I got my three hundred hours back.
2: <laughs>
0: no, I I like – yeah, yeah it's called STICK, S-T-I-C-K-K. I use it um, – I actually need to set up another one for the end of the year because like, the next like, two weeks. Like, right. I, what I, I, I like better like, – so there are two ways of approaching this, like that goal thing. There's the – and I want to know your your thought on this. You can set a goal like I will lose 20 pounds. I will buy a rental property, right? It's like a uh, an outcome goal. And then there's also like I will work out five days a week. Now that's like – I don't know you you call that, but like a – progress goal. Baseball. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 And so what do you, do you know anything like which one works better? Does, does it does not matter? Does it depend on the situation?
1: I mean, it, in the end, you know, it is generally, it's generally better to, to set up systems as opposed to goals, because in the end you can control what you do. You can't necessarily control outcomes. Yep. So, you know, I, I, a student can control how long they study. They cannot guarantee they'll get an A. You, you cannot guarantee that you will win the gold medal at the Olympics, but you can control how much you train.
3: Yeah.
1: Uh, so in the end, over the long term, and not only that, what can happen with a lot of goals? I'm going to lose 20 pounds. I lost the 20 pounds. Now I gain it back.
0: Yes, yes. So
1: to set up a system is I'm going to monitor my calories every day. I'm going to work out every day. That's something that's consistent that, you know, you won't guarantee guarantee results. But it will definitely guarantee progress if you stick with it versus setting a hard goal you may or may not be be able to achieve. And then you need to make sure you set another goal to maintain it. So in the end, systems, habits, and then once it becomes a habit versus this all-out sprint to achieve something, which you can probably then quickly undo, it's better to to set habits and systems. So that's exactly what
0: happened to me when I lost that weight over those two-week period, right? Like I went off carbs, I went off everything, and I I did it. And within like a month or three weeks, I was right back to where I had started. Like – the, the entire challenge, you know, three months earlier. And it was because yeah. I was aiming so hard for this goal. I mean, the same thing to be like, so You're like, malnourished yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like totally dehydrated and all that. Yeah. It was yeah, probably horrible, but, but I hit the goal, right? But, but now going forward, what I want to do is yeah, I will work out six days a week, let's say or five days a week. And if I don't, every time I miss it, I'm going to yeah. give you a hundred bucks or give this anti-charity a hundred dollars. That way it's like, if you screw up once, like, okay, well there goes a hundred. I better not do that again. And there is no end date on that. I'm just going to keep doing it. So the same thing can be said about rental properties or flipping, right? I'm going, if you set a goal, I'm going to buy a property. The chances are you could probably buy a property. You might overpay for one. You might buy one you should have never bought. You might make no money on the back end, but your goal said you were going to buy one. And so like goals can be dangerous in that, in that way quite a bit where, where I tend to, you know, I teach an online class every week, uh, teaching people, you know, how to buy real estate and stuff. And, uh, the thing that I teach all the time, and I know Dave, you do the same thing is, Like it's more important to have that process where, hey, I'm going to analyze one deal a day. If I analyze just one simple property every day, I sit down and spend ten minutes working on it, and I find a number that makes sense. Like if I just did that every single day for three months, like I've now analyzed ninety deals. Like do I think I'll I'll be better equipped to be able to offer on a deal a hundred times more? Right. So right,
2: yeah. People always ask me like, what's a good cash on cash return or a good ROI for an investment. And I would say, analyze 10 deals a day for a month. Yeah. And by the end, you'll know what an average in your area is. And when you find one that's higher than that average, yep. then you'll have the confidence to do it because you've built in a process. You're confident in your ability to analyze deals. You know that your numbers are correct. And then you'll are when then you actually wind up getting closer to your goal just by setting up that process. So
0: yep.
2: I totally love that. Very true. There's a, uh, it's kind of end that
0: thing, uh, there's a quote from uh, Hal Elrod who wrote The Miracle Morning. Uh, he says something like, I'm going to probably butcher it, but basically every result that you desire requires a process to get it. So whether you want to lose weight or whether you know you want to buy a property, there's a process that gets you there. And it's, he said, when you define your process and then commit to it for an extended period of time, the results just take care of themselves. So in other words, yeah, yeah you put up a picture of a guy with a six pack on the wall that does nothing for you, you know, but you, you're eating yeah. 1500 calories a day and working out four times a week. The results, you're going to get what you, where you want if you just stick with that process. Is, have you found no, the same just- thing to be true?
1: Oh, well, I mean, there was, uh, I I remember there was an interview with, uh, with a UFC fighter who was, who said there's something about the fight, the fight, the fight. And he said, he said, the fight's fun. He said, the training is the really difficult part is getting up, doing that every day, doing everything I have to do to be prepared for it. That's difficult. That's taxing. He's like, what happens when I eventually step into the octagon and compete? He's like, by then you're either ready or you're not ready. You know, you're either trained or you're not trained you know so i agree it's like that process the system it's like the the result will come as a result of all the the day the day-to-day process you've been engaging in
0: well one of the things that's hard then about that is that you know like to go back to the the octagon example you know like uh, the ufc fighting like yeah you get all the like you get all the fanfare the excitement about the fight but nobody's out there cheering you on when you go get up at 5 a.m to go to the gym to work out and have a hard work like nobody's cheering you so like you don't get that immediate feedback and that's why again it's hard to have that process no. cuz nobody's cheering you on then you don't get the reward
1: no and and but in a way that's good because if we get the rewards too early people people tend to people tend to slack off you you, you if you're looking just for the reward you get it too soon it's like that's we tend to there's research by the Gabriel Itenge did research on it at NYU in terms of that issue of when we share our dreams our goals our everything then if we get rewarded for it, then we've our brains almost feel like we've done it as opposed to summoning the motivation to follow through. So the people you hear who and perhaps in real estate who talk about doing it, talk about this, talk about that, and then never follow through because they're they're getting their dessert before they've eaten their vegetables. You know, it's like that's that's kind of a thing. So it's it's important, you know, to just put the day-to-day work in the trenches and then magically, you know, the results appear, you know, after a period of time of, of uh, consistent effort.
0: So on that note then, would you say it's not a good idea to go to your Facebook page and say, Hey, everybody, I'm going to be a real estate investor. I'm buying 10 properties this year, you know, until 18, I'm going to buy 10 houses. You think that's a
1: bad idea. I mean, if you've got a consistent track record already of doing that and that's realistic, okay, fine. But if you've never done this before, I mean, You know, again, I like the stick model better. Where (laughs) I'm not getting rewarded from it, I'm going to get penalized for this. If I you want, if you want to put words out there, great. Put your money behind it. You know, and then you'll stand. Then we'll see how how happy people are about about posting on their on their Facebook page. (laughs) uh, You know, in an anticipatory way versus keeping quiet do the work. And then, you know, you're one of those people who, oh my God, every time I see this guy, you know, he's, he's, he's achieved, he's accomplished something as opposed to just always talking it up. And, you know, nobody wants to be one of those people.
0: Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Well, cool. Well, I want to shift over to a couple other sections on the book that, that really stood out to me. One of them was introverts versus extroverts, who becomes more successful long-term. Can you talk about that a little bit? Like, what did you kind of come up with?
1: I mean, across the board, it's like when you initially read the research, it's like, man, extroverts seem to have just a huge, huge advantage. I mean, you know, they build their networks faster and networks are huge across the board. You know, they're happier. There's even research that shows when introverts act like extroverts, they get happier. It just it just seems so clear. But then what you see is. The, the big effect is that introverts are far more likely to become experts in their field because they're not spending all that time with other people. They have time, if they use it wisely, to get really good at stuff. And so you just see across the board, introverts are more likely, they, they get better grades. They're more likely to get PhDs. A, you know, A surprising number of high-achieving athletes are introverts because, again, shooting those free throws into late at night, you know, staying in a batting cage instead of going to a party. You know, all of those things are really critical. So again, you know, it depends on what your strength is, you know, because people, I mean, some people are at the margin. A lot of people are what are called ambiverts or in the middle. They're a little bit of both, but people who are at the extremes, Again, understanding what your personality type is and utilizing that where it's like, am I going to be an expert in my field? Am I going to be really great at this, but maybe I'm a little socially awkward or or I just get exhausted by people? Or I don't feel like studying case after case after case, but I am really good at getting out there and getting people to like me and making friends. And they both have their strengths. And it's really important to understand where you naturally fit and then understand how you can utilize that to be to be better at what you do.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Do you, do you consider yourself, and I'll ask Dave this to you as well, do you guys consider yourselves introverts or extroverts?
1: I am an extreme introvert. Are you really? You have no idea how hard this is. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was <laughs> going to say, you are no, asking no, no, as well. No, I, I, no, no. no. I, I'm, I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm a very extreme introvert. Uh, you know, writing, writing the blog, writing books, uh, man, if I was an extreme ext- extrovert, oh, man, my job would be so much harder. But no, definitely introvert.
2: Okay, what do you do? I I feel like I've had really conflicting ideas about this in the past, but I guess it, people define it very differently. But the one way I've heard it defined is like if you're upset or frustrated with something, like do you want to talk it out to people or do you want to just be by yourself? And I'm totally the be by yourself kind of guy. So I yes. sort of tend to think of myself as introverted, but I'm very outgoing. So I don't know if those are in conflict with one another, or those are if that's even possible.
1: I mean, usually, usually when they look at it, it's it's basically you know everybody needs time to themselves and everybody needs needs some social interaction. You know, it's a spectrum. Uh, usually, it's it's an issue of uh, similar to what you're saying. It's an issue of how do you recharge? You know, it's like, is do most people say, "Oh my God," you know, it's been so stressful. I I gotta go out and meet friends for a drink, or oh my God, today's been so stressful. I'm shutting the door and uh, just leave me alone. I mean, so <laughs> you know, we 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 all, like I said, most people cluster somewhere in the center, but some people are. This has been this has been so difficult. I gotta see my buddies, and some people. Are, this has been so difficult. You know, phone, do not disturb. You know, just just let me just sit here in the closet, close the door in the dark, and and try to stop trembling. You know, it depends. <laughs> that makes sense.
0: What yeah. are you, Brandon? Yeah, I don't know. I think I'm probably more introverted than anything. I mean, on a podcast, I can, you know, we can talk and have fun. And I, but yeah, definitely more introverted. Josh always makes fun of me because I'm the guy like a, a real estate meetup. I like find a corner to go stand in and then people can come talk to me. And I'm like, but I don't go, I don't go into groups. Like, when I think of like the scariest things on earth, and I think of like, you know, if like fire breathing dragons were real, and then like groups of people at a party. Like they're about the same scariness level. Like I can't approach a group <laughs> and get into that group. Like that just
1: terrifies me. So, I uh... oh no, I I I give a, I, I do a lot of talks and like public speaking and stuff, and 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 it's like I'm energetic. I tell jokes, okay, and people come. They people think, oh, you must be like such an extrovert, and I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand public speaking. I get to talk; they don't get to talk back. Yeah. You know, I can you know, that. You know, That—that's not a problem. I'm on stage; you—you you be quiet. You know, I, I can—I do that just fine. But like, you know, conversations. Oh, geez, other people—they have opinions, and oh, it's really difficult. That's fine. That's very true. <laughs> so
0: you. Well, you mentioned earlier that introverts can act like extroverts and become more. Did you say happy? Was that what you said? The, the study show
1: it actually shows. I mean, one of the most demonstrated effects in social science research is that extra extroverts are, are are happier, you know, on average. And you know, introverts, when they act like extroverts, are you know, are happier. Introverts might be underestimating how much social time you know they need. But on the flip side. You know, you, you just see these kind of bounces. A lot of the myths that we have around introverts and extroverts, a lot we have a lot of inaccurate beliefs. Like for instance, with leadership, you know, people believe, oh, you got to be extroverted, and that depends. With less, mo- with a less motivated uh, group of people, extroverts are great leaders because they get out there, they talk to people, they energize them, they stay on top of them. It's great with a team of self motivated a players introverts are much, much better leaders because they'll give direction, they give this, they keep it short, they get the hell out of the way, they're better listeners. So that actually works. So again, it depends upon, you know, the group. And, you know, introversion does not necessarily mean shyness. Someone can be, have a very dominant personality, but not really enjoy extended amounts of social interaction. So, you know, there's a lot of myths we have surrounding it it's just a matter of really understanding your personality type and then leveraging it, you know, to, to the, to the best effect.
0: Makes
3: sense. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago before I ever started my real estate business, it might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Calling all property owners and operators. Are you managing a multifamily property and looking to elevate your resident's living experience? Introducing Quantum Fiber Internet, your go-to choice for speedy internet your residents will love. The process is as seamless as Quantum Fiber Service. Starting at just $50 a month, your residents can enjoy fast, reliable internet that will make them love where they live even more. Connect with your local Fiber representative today. Learn more at q.com slash go big. I wonder how they got that domain. That's q.com slash go big. Limited availability, service and rate in select locations only. Taxes and fees apply. 360 Wi-Fi and other equipment lease charges, taxes and fees are excluded from price for life offer and may be increased. Take a second and imagine this immediate cash flow, above-average rent, built-in equity, and a foolproof exit plan. No, it's not 2012 again. This is just what it's like to invest with Integra Development Group. They've simplified the real estate investing process so everyone can invest. With their new construction single-family rent-to-own homes, you'll get aggressively priced brand-new properties that have tenants in place now in one of the fastest-growing states in America, Florida. Here's how IDG's rent-to-own strategy works. You get exclusive access to inventory with aggressive pricing thanks to IDG's builder-partner relationships. Then, invest and collect immediate cash flow with tenants already in place at or very close to closing. With the demand for new builds, your tenants pay above market rent, so you rake in more cash flow. And you'll get built-in equity and appreciation with an already agreed-to purchase price at year three, helping the tenants become homeowners while you build wealth. That's investing simplified. So, secure your next investment property today with Integra Development Group at Integradg.com. That's Integradg.com to start investing today. So, we've talked a little bit about happiness. You just touched on it and
2: goal setting. In your research, I was just checking out your blog this morning. It seems like you have a lot of topics about what goals are actually worth pursuing. I was wondering if you could say a little bit about that.
1: I mean, you know, you, can you be more specific, because I think I think it depends sure. on what yeah. Just like what yeah.
2: make like I saw a couple of articles that were saying like yeah. what actually make people happy, uh, yeah. and that they're sometimes contrarian in nature that they don't, aren't what you would normally think are the things that actually make people happy.
1: Yeah. I mean, people usually think it's like, you know, money and and financial success are going to are going to bring happiness. Money and financial success is a great defense in the sense of it. It reduces problems. You don't have as much downside. However, you know, the the biggest the biggest results in terms of happiness typically come from relationships with people. Now, again, that doesn't necessarily mean extra extroversion, but emotional intimacy, be that with a partner, with friends you know, is emotional intimacy, closeness and, you know, gratitude, you know, is huge. Feeling grateful, you know, takes us out of that loop of, you know, I got I have to I have to have more. You know, what am I going to do next? Uh, Do I have enough? Am I measuring up versus feeling really thrilled with what you do have, appreciating what you do have and showing gratitude to other people? Huge benefits, you know, in terms of happiness. I mean, one of the simplest and most replicated studies over and over again on happiness is before you go to bed at night just having a piece of paper and a pen by the bed and just writing down three things that were good that happened to you that day something as simple as that that way you don't take it for granted every day you're thinking about it's like the principle of advertising where like you know people need to see something seven times before they do it just keeping the good things top of mind is really critical because otherwise we tend to take good things for granted and only focus on the bad things you know i mean like i'll i'll see that on like you know comments on my blog on social media 99 people <laughs> will say fantastic things one person will tell me i'm an idiot and the result in my head is well i guess i'm an idiot you know so i mean you have to you have to take the time to keep those good things top of mind show gratitude you know, be close to people. And not only does that increase happiness, but there's some really fascinating what they call longitudinal studies where they follow people for their entire lives. So like the grant study at Harvard literally followed men from like, followed a a class of men from like the 1930s. The study's still ongoing. Some of the men are in their 90s. And so rather than just seeing like, oh, we did X and then four weeks later, you know, these college undergrads were happier. This is something where, They did X when they were 18. We saw their personality when they are 18. This is how it affected them four weeks later. This is how it affected them middle age. And this is how it affected them longer in life. And just what you see is that ability to having close relationships with people was just across the board. Not only did it increase happiness, but it actually also increased success metrics. Those people did better. They got along with others. You know, they they formed collaborations. You know, they just across the board. That was really critical. So relationships are something to, to really think about both in business and in personal life.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Well, so I wanted to talk a little bit about networking and you made a line yeah. in the book that said some kind of joke about like, let's stop saying the word networking, call it making friends. I think is what you said. Yeah. Like, because like yeah. It, when I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, that sounds so much easier. Like in the past, I was like, <laughs> like, like I got to go network and I gotta get the stupid business card. And like, I don't know, it, it felt like weird and like, But I'm like, oh, anybody can go make friends and, and chat. Anyway, I want to talk about that a little bit about how do we network? How do we make friends?
1: I mean, there's a there's a number of things, but what's really funny is when you read the really good networking advice or advice on how to connect with people, what you see is that it all is just like making friends. You know, it's just like, you know, it's like being nice to people and people ask, hey, we have this in common. It's like, no, it's called making friends. But when you break it out into contacts, it's like contacts. It's like, yeah, it's great if you got a million contacts and no friends. Yeah, I mean, if you if you need to go to the hospital at two o'clock in the morning, your contacts are not going to help you. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's a critical distinction. And but there are a number of things that people can do. Like the easiest thing from the research in terms of broadening your network is reconnecting with reconnecting with old friends. You already know them. You don't even have to build a relationship. There's all those people on Facebook or LinkedIn that you know them. You were friends for a while. You lost contact. You haven't talked in five years. Send them an email. Hey. There's a source of potential contacts, networks. They can introduce you to more friends. That's the easiest thing in the world. Anybody can do it. We all have relationships that we've, we've let fall by the wayside. So reconnecting is, you know, an insanely easy way to do it. And the second thing that I, I thought, this is research by Brian Uzi, was really fantastic, is the, the concept of super connectors, where basically if you look at your contact list on your phone or whatever, what you're going to see is a disproportionate number of your contacts came from a handful of people. There's like that one super social person who introduced you to 10 or 15 people, and you're just gonna see that there's these clusters. Okay, well, those super connectors, if you only have a short period of time to devote to that awful word networking, or to the better (laughs) phrase, making friends, reconnect with those super connectors those people who are the hub of every network they know everybody that's a great way to get started because those are the people who know everybody yeah. so it, you'll get disproportionate results from talking to those super connectors
0: so when i read that i actually went and did that i wrote down like everybody i started like john and I, everybody i knew and like people and sure enough they're like there's like three people in my life who like most people i know because of those three people somehow yeah. um and then interesting <laughs> enough those three people actually all knew each other as well which like tells you there's something yeah, about that. I don't know. There's some deeper study you can do there someday, but uh, how did you meet those three people? Yeah. <laughs> Say what? Where'd I meet them? How? Yeah. How'd you meet those three people? Uh, online. Uh, most people online. Like, huh. yeah. In various communities, cool. you know, like for example, one of the guys is Noah Kagan. Like Noah's introduced me to Noah, like yeah, yeah. 50 different no, people. I don't that know. I all know. All. Okay. Yeah. You know it all. Exactly. Like <laughs> Noah is a super connector and every like, Everybody knows Noah. I don't know. And he, he's one of those guys. I mean, he's been on the podcast here. He's one of those guys that's very happy to like, oh, yeah, you need to know this guy. Hey, meet this guy. You know, like, I mean, yeah, Noah Kagan. I became friends with him, which then led to, I mean, I, I don't know, Tim Ferriss was on our show because of that connection. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Holiday yeah. was on because of that connection. Like, Yeah, I yeah, Ryan right as well,
3: yeah.
2: Just kind of... That would be really interesting to check out on bigger pockets, Brandon. That would be that fun would be actually, to see if yeah. we could figure that out. Cause so much of what we do site? is create a community where people connect and we could see who's doing the most connections and if there there are like super connectors on the site. That's funny. That's a really interesting every, thing. Every,
1: yeah. everything we've anybody we've ever met, it always comes back to Gary. Gary, us to everybody. <laughs> this is Gary. Just meet Gary. Gary will solve <laughs> all, all your problems. It. What what's funny is there's there's another study that's that's it's illustrative, but more important, I think it makes people feel better. And it's we all at times feel like, oh, my God, our friends have such a better social life than us. Like my social life just isn't as great as my friends. That's a very common feeling. And the reason for that is because of super connectors, these are the people who know everybody. And so we know them. And they're super connectors. So they're just disprop- your friends typically on average will have more friends than you only because that's the person that knows everybody, and that's why they know you. <laughs> okay, yeah. Because they know everybody. So it sets up this false kind of dichotomy where they're the hub, we're all spokes, and then it's like, My God, it just seems like Noah knows everybody. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's <laughs> like, but but that's that like Noah's known for that, and that's why he knows you. Yep. <laughs> so that's funny. it's funny. <laughs>
0: That's funny. Well, cool. So, okay. So, we talk about network. We talk about all that. One thing I want to talk about before we move on to kind of the fire round and famous Four, the last sections of the show. You mentioned something, and, and you forgive me if this was not your book, but I'm pretty sure it was. It's been you know a couple months. Okay. Ago. We talked about what makes somebody successful at work. Like studies. Like I read about a study that like what makes one employee more successful is it education or whatever was that that was in the book, right? Yeah. Okay. Can you talk about yeah. that? Like what makes somebody? Because a lot of people listen to the show. I right know. Obviously, it's a real estate show, but I would say 99% of people have a job and it would do good to earn more money at that job so they can put more into yep. real estate. How do we make more money yep. at our jobs?
1: Well, this is something that some, some people might find depressing. Uh, <laughs> but basically, the critical thing you know in a job is your relationship with your boss. Yep. You know, is across the board. You know, if you look at uh, work by Jeffrey Pfeffer at the Stanford Graduate School of Business, basically, he, he sums up the research by saying, you know, if, if you have a great relationship with your boss, and, you know, then then hard work doesn't matter as much. And if <laughs> you're a really hard worker and you have a terrible relationship with your boss, your hard work won't save you. Doesn't matter. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's really, really critical. And that that isn't necessarily saying that, you know, you, you, you need to ki- you need to kiss up, although it doesn't hurt. But is is that be really particular, you know, about, you know, where you go, what you work for, because and in the same token, by the same token, people don't leave bad companies. People leave bad bosses so you know it, the company you work for is not going to affect your happiness and your success as much as the boss you work for and that relationship is really really critical so to be blind to your relationship with your boss and only focus on the work those are a lot of people who get very frustrated yeah. and uh so you you can't you cannot avoid politics you know unless you are a, you know a freelancer or in some or in some way i mean Sales can be an exception because there is a hard metric. You know, I, I sold twice as much as anybody else. There's the number that that is a way that allows you to get around some of the things as long as that number stays high. But, you know, overall relationship with the boss is critical.
0: Yeah, I, I remember reading that. I thought that was fascinating because I look back at my life. Every successful job I've ever had where I felt like I, I did a good job at it. never I climbed the ladder or whatever. Like it was all ones where my boss like liked me. And the ones that I struggled yeah. were the ones that I was like, my boss is a moron. And like, I, yeah. like, like I was like, I'm doing good work and they just don't get it. And like, you know, we butted heads and I realized like, yeah, my ego of trying to like show my boss, whatever was, was hurting my ability to even progress in that job. So yeah. I think well, people,
1: people, for, people forget like how little of their, their work and their achievements are visible, you know, as you go up the ladder right. to, you know, C level, CEO, whatever. And they forget how much of your perception is at the discretion of your boss. If your boss says to the CEO, oh, yeah, he's a moron, you know, you're it doesn't like it's really going to be hard. You're you're not going to have the access to overcome that. So it's really critical. You know, your boss can protect you, can defend you. And a lot of promotions is, again, if you don't have hard, hard metrics, if you're part of a big department, fog of war, it's blurry. What is what is the very busy senior vice president going to say? Just I don't care. Just who do you recommend? Yep. And the first name that comes to mind is gonna get that promotion and it's gonna be done. And and it's not always fair, but that is how it works and, and people need to be cognizant of that. Wow, yeah, I, I love that. So good advice.
0: so listen up. Yeah, if you guys are trying to make more money at your work, go go kiss up a little bit. It's okay.
1: <laughs> a little bit. But
0: also like I was gonna say on that note as well, like I think there is something too it like if you are a good worker, that's typically what makes a boss likes you as well. So it's kind of a two way street, right? Like not always oh. the case, but in a lot of ways.
1: I mean, if, if you're good at your job and you do the research to make sure ahead of time, hopefully, that you're going to be working for somebody that you respect, mm-hmm. that you like, you know, it's like that's the perfect setup. You know, it's really the perfect setup. But it's like we all have our quirks, you know, and it's just, just a matter of that relationship, you know, really matters. And some people have a boss who is just focused on do a great job. You know, get the numbers, and you're it. And you know, other people are more socially oriented, and they want somebody who they're friendly with, who they enjoy spending time with. And if you're the if you're if you're if you're the inferior position on the relationship, you need to make sure that happens. You know, they they need. When uh, Deepak Malhotra teaches at Harvard Business School and when he's talking about negotiating salary, what he tells all the Harvard Business School, the MBA students, his first rule is not hardball negotiation or anchor high. His first rule of salary negotiation is they have to like you because in the end, it's going to come down to – do they want to give this to you? Because they may have more options. Are they going to offer them? Are they going to say, are they going to go to bat for you? Are they going to want to do it? Or are you going to be strong arming them and they're going to resent you or they have to like you? That's so
0: good. So true. All right. Well, last question I got. Uh, I don't know if Dave, you guys any more, but like, I want to know about work life sure. balance. We talk a lot about that as well. What does, yeah. that, what does that mean? And how do we achieve yep. better if that's what the goal is?
1: Well, the, the issue with work-life balance is that uh, it didn't even really exist. You know, we didn't think about it in the past. You watch Mad Men, you know, it's like back in the 60s, it wasn't as big of an issue. And and now, you know, it's because basically we can work 24-7 and that's difficult. You know, oh, I, I left those papers at the office. I'll get them for you tomorrow. No, they're in the cloud. You can get them right now. Yeah. Oh, I, well, I have to check my, my mail. No, the email's in your pocket all the time, 24-7. You can check it right now. You always have the option to work. And so that's stressful to just know that you could always be doing it. And that sets up this this situation where, you know, ceteris paribus, all things being equal. If somebody else is going to work 10 hours a day, you're only going to work eight. So it becomes very difficult because we're living in a 24-7 world. And that just keeps you on the treadmill. And so people end up using uh, what, what they call a collapsing metric, where it's like they use one metric to determine success. And that's really dangerous because what metric do we end up using? Money. And it's just make the number go up. And that doesn't take into account all the other things in life that we all want, like happiness, relationships, not dying. You know, there's a (laughs) lot of things that you need to you need to think about. So what they found is that the people who had something who are in successful, high level, you know, high paying jobs is basically they they had four metrics, you know, that they they went by where they were. They were they were enjoying their life. They were they were giving back. They were important. They were doing things important to the people around them and they were achieving. So it's like to to be thinking about all of those things where it's kind of am I enjoying what I'm doing? Am I getting ahead? Am I doing am I providing value to the people I love and who love me? And then do I feel like I'm giving back? When people look at – if you look at your calendar, you will you can kind of see, like, how many hours am I enjoying? How many hours am I achieving? How many hours am I providing value to the people around me? How many hours do I feel like I'm giving back? And often people find, eh, one's really high, one's really low. And trying to find a better balance, it is a personal balance. It's something you need to work on for you that works for you. But usually, if people look at those four buckets, they'll see maybe one of them's one of them's lacking, or maybe two of them are lacking, or some people go all in on one. Hey, I'm completely happy. I'm also unemployed. Uh, you know, or I'm achieving so much and I hate my job. And you know, so it's it's really finding that balance. But in the end, the onus, and this is the shift in the 21st century, the onus is on us because the office never closes. The doors don't close at 5 p.m. anymore. So you kind of need to draw a line in the sand for yourself. And that can be really difficult because people want to say, oh, well, I'd love to work harder, but I can't. It's like, no, you always can. And that's the hard part. So it's a matter of drawing a line for yourself that you're comfortable
2: with. Yeah. I think it's especially hard too for entrepreneurs because you—it's so much of it falls to you because it's just you, especially when you're just starting or if you're a real estate investor. So both of you, obviously entrepreneurial, curious if either of you have any tricks or tips that you use to try and maintain that balance.
1: I mean, that's a really critical issue. I—I I, one of the biggest ironies for me was, you know, the work-life balance is the final chapter in my book, and just killing myself to get this done. And I'm like, I am writing about work-life balance and I am grossly overworking. This is not, luckily, luckily, this is, luckily this is not like, my book is not like my personal story because then I'd be a total hypocrite. Uh, like, I'm presenting the research, I'm presenting the research. Do as I say, not what I do. Uh, you know, it's like you realizing that, but no, that that is really critical because as an entrepreneur, it's not like, there's nobody else, you know, and and that's why entrepreneurs, do have to work harder, but you know, it's, it's, it's a matter again of kind of drawing lines for yourself, which in some ways, you know, can be, you know, can be healthier in the sense of, you don't have to, you don't have anybody else telling you, or you don't have any other standards, but but you do have to draw a line for yourself. And most people that line is very blurry and that's, that's where they get into trouble is they're, they're not kind of saying, Hey, there's a point where I need to stop. Hey, there's a point where I need to shower.
0: Yeah, I think that's the key right there is like making the lines less blurry as much <laughs> as possible, right? Like, yeah. And I'm horrible at that because I want to grab my phone out and check my email because I'm just sitting there and my daughter is watching Clipper on TV. So what's the big deal, right? But all of a sudden now I've blurred the lines, even though she doesn't even notice I'm checking my phone. But like now the lines are blurry. So then 10 minutes later, when she does notice, my daughter does notice that I'm no longer paying attention to her. You know, like it, as long as I can keep those clear lines and I'm horrible at it as well, but I try to keep those clear lines. The other thing that I, I do a lot and in the book, the one thing Gary Keller and Jay Papasan, they talk about work-life balancing. They add "ing" on the end of that. They say it's not. There's no such thing as that. Uh, you're never going to be in the middle. There's never going to be like a balance. No. It's a balancing act all the time. So what, what I tend to do is, if I see myself going way too far one way for a while, I'll push back the other way as much as possible. Yeah. You know, like and mainly what I mean. But yeah, if, I, if I'm working a lot, I'll take a week off. Or I'll spend yeah. a week just working very minimal hours and try to do it all before the family is, you know, up and active. So like I try to balance it that
3: way as well.
1: Oh yeah, no, it's a, finding a system that that works for you is really the critical thing because in the end, everybody's tolerances are, are different. Some people get, you know, a disproportionate amount of their fulfillment from their work. Telling them to work less, uh, David Epstein wrote a fantastic book, The Sports Gene, and he was talking about some athletes. You know, yes, many athletes, as we're used to seeing, need a coach to tell them, you know, go train, push yourself harder. But there also exists the other side. There are some athletes who the coach needs to tell them, you need to rest, okay? Like they they will keep going. They're like sled dogs. They will keep going until they die, and they need somebody to say, you need to stop you need to chill so you know it is individual but it's it's a matter of kind of like setting boundaries and then adjusting them you know incrementally kind of setting but most people don't set them and so then it's like people get into really bad habit loops where it's like Oh, things went pretty good today. I can stop early. Things went bad today. I'm going to work twice as hard, which in many situations is the reverse of what you want to do. It's like things are good. Well, then keep going, you know, and things are bad. You know what? Maybe this part of the business isn't working out and I should stop that altogether and double down on the things which are working and push harder on the days which are good. So, you know, it's a matter of setting lines for yourself and in pencil and realizing I'm going to move them, but you have to draw the lines in the first place.
0: Yeah. I love that. Love it. All right, well let's shift gears and head over to the next segment of the show, which we lovingly call our fire round. It's time for the fire round. <laughs> All right, let's jump into the fire round. These questions usually come direct out of the Bigger Pockets forums. However, today, because this isn't like a real estate necessarily related show, I kind of twisted some of the questions from the forums to be a little bit more general. But I think they'll make they'll make sense here. So they'll apply both to real estate and just life in general. So number one, how do I schedule events on my calendar? Do you have any recommendations for how do you what should I schedule? What shouldn't I schedule? Should I schedule everything? How should I use my calendar?
1: schedule everything to-do lists are evil this comes from cal newport as uh, professor at georgetown wrote an awesome book on productivity called deep work I love book, and yeah. he said the, the problem with with to-do lists is that you can easily have a to-do list for today that has 26 hours of stuff on it because to-do lists don't take time into consideration if you schedule things and you have a, a ballpark idea of how long things will take you can realize up front I'm not going to get all this done. Yep. And then you can prioritize and say, since I'm only going to get five of these things done, let me pick the most important five. Let me schedule them. And that's realistic. And then I can tell people realistically that you're not going to get it till Friday. And that's a much better way than, oh, I've got my to-do list. And you never, ever seem to get to the bottom of it. So schedule everything.
0: That's been huge for me. I'll do that. I'll have a list. I'm like, okay, I can do all this today. And then when I sit down, and I, I, I've been doing that because I read Deep Work. I've been pl- plugging each thing on my calendar. I'm like, how can I only fit four things out of 12 on my day? Like I can't even get the, all this done in a week. And it, and then I actually do exactly what my calendar says. Typically I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah, like I I was right. You know? So yeah, I'm hundred percent in agreement on that.
1: Very cool. All
2: right. Number two. All right. Question number two. What does your day typically look like?
1: My day ranges widely because I Basically, because uh, there's a lot of times where I'm giving talks or I'm traveling, that messes things up a little bit. But I, I do all, I have to read a lot to find the gold that I wanna I wanna post about. So I spend a lot of time reading. I spend a lot more time. I spend a lot more time taking stuff in than actually putting stuff out. And I tell you, I spend a lot of, in terms of writing, I spend a lot of time planning, you know, because I don't want to sit there in front of the keyboard and be like, what what am I going to say? You know, so I literally spend a lot of time taking in as much information as possible. And again, leveraging my introversion. Very happy to read, (laughs) to study, to analyze, to plan. So I spend a lot of time taking information in, distilling it, and then trying to to make it as succinct and clear for for other people. But I spend enormous amounts of time alone and reading.
0: All right, <laughs> number three. How do I get a mentor without being creepy? <laughs> you go, hey, will you be my mentor?
1: You know. I, I, that's uh, I, I get I get a lot of those emails. Yep. I, I mean, the, the, the first thing to do is is to to study them as much as possible, you know, and n- know their stuff, know them. And the next thing you know, you want to do is no, you don't have to reveal
3: <laughs> that you've done that.
1: <laughs> it, it definitely sounds creepy. You know, and you, you you should only follow them around for a few weeks. But you yeah, we look through a couple of windows their habits, their yeah. movements. <laughs> but the but the best the best way to alienate a potential mentor is to ask them a question that they've been asked ten thousand times, or to ask them a question which is easily available. They, they could Google themselves, you know. But to ask them a question that's interesting. You know, to asking questions is really critical, keeping it short, appreciating their time, you know, asking them a question that's 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 interesting and also showing the homework you've done is critical is just basically if you say. Hey, how do I get happier? You know, if somebody sends me that, it's like, I got a thousand articles about happiness. You know, why, why, do, you, why do you need, why do you, you don't need Arnold Schwarzenegger to show you how to lift weights. You know, it's like, that's basic stuff. You know, if you say, though, hey, I read Seligman's book on this and I had a couple questions on that. So then I went over and looked at Sonia Lubomirsky's research. I know, she teaches at Riverside. That answers some of my questions. But then I thought about this. And then when I looked at some of the stuff on your website, it didn't seem directly addressed. So I asked, that's the person I'm going to reply to. Because they exhausted every possibility, and they're only coming to me with something that, you know, really, it's like, okay, wow, holy crap, like, you did your homework, I appreciate that, you're not wasting my time, I appreciate that. You asked a smart question, which is making me think, and making me curious, I appreciate that, you know, and then, you know, following up, but... You don't ask somebody to marry you on the first date and you don't ask somebody to be your mentor on a first email. But if you there are so many people I've become friends with through my blog because we communicated, we talked, they said something interesting. I said something interesting. And again, most of stuff, any kind of relationship usually develops organically, you know, so don't try and make it into an arranged marriage. It shouldn't be. So really do your homework, get to know it, ask interesting questions. Don't waste anybody's time.
0: I can translate that for a minute to, to real estate investing. Nice. you know, A lot of new real estate investors want to find a mentor. And I think a lot of that is because they want somebody to tell them exactly what to do step by step because they're, I don't know, lazy maybe isn't the right word, but maybe it is. Um, they just don't, they don't want to go out and do it on their own. or They're scared, right? So, but, but to, to exactly what you just said there, the people who have helped the most have emailed me or called me or whatever and said, Hey, I'm looking at a property at this neighborhood this street here's the address. I talked to the agent and a property manager they said this about it. I'm wondering your opinion of that neighborhood I mean why would I not respond to that Of course I'll be like, yeah, I think that neighborhood's you know scary I' would stay away from that then they, yeah. so now we've got a relationship they can ask me another question well what, what about this one and hey maybe you want to get some you know lunch sometime now I'm much more open to going out to lunch with them because now they've done their yeah. research homework
1: yeah a uh, thousand percent
0: so. Very
1: cool. No, no. And I mean, when nice. somebody email, when somebody knows, you know, like what I'm interested in, they send me an article, just a link. And it's like, hey, here's something. And I go, wow, this person really knows like they're at they know what I've covered, what I haven't covered. And here's something at the edge, because it's really easy to buy somebody a bad gift and demonstrate to them. I have no idea what you like, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's real, and it's really hard where somebody gets you something perfect, get you a great gift. And you're like, holy cow, this is amazing in that same way you know you just have to imagine all the other people that are emailing whoever you want to be your mentor is probably somebody successful there's probably a lot of people who want them to be their mentor you want to stand out and if you're asking the same questions doing the same stuff not doing your homework you are going to fall into that very large bucket versus doing something which says i've done my homework you know i am i am ready to be a jedi You know, look, I've done my work. Teach me. Great one. You know, it's like when somebody has done that, you want to help them because those people are rare. And then you're open to spending that time because those people are so rare.
2: There you go. Awesome. Great advice. All right. Last one. What is the best way to overcome fear of something new? Uh,
1: The the best way to overcome fear of something new, I mean, is a first step would be just learn about as much about it as possible you know, just understanding here's how it works. Here's the ins and outs. Don't go into it blind. You know, talk to people, read stuff on it, study it, understand it. We're not as afraid of things that we understand. Well, you know, initially there's still a rational fear. The next thing I would say is, is there any way you can simulate that environment? You know, so again, it's kind of like I talked to another author who uh, when he's scheduling like podcast interviews and stuff, he deliberately schedules really small, like like, don't have a big audience, don't have a big reach, all of those initially, because then if he screws up, Nobody's going to hear it, That's smart. <laughs> but that allows him to build up kind of his immunity. And then he's, and he's got his message all on target, you know, to have that. And then, so if you can get out there and try it and test it in a small way, you know, what is a much less threatening way to expose yourself to it? And honestly, it's supported by the psychological research where it's kind of like that exposure therapy, you know, as I'm going to, I'm going to get 10 feet away from a snake. Okay. I'm gonna get five feet away from a snake. Okay. One foot. Okay. I'm actually going to touch the snake, you know? is how you overcome fears. So exposure, first by information, next by some kind of a simulated environment, next is by a low stakes encounter, and then finally put yourself out there and then put yourself out there repeatedly until, yeah. until frankly, it gets boring. <laughs> and then you're, there is no fear with boredom.
0: Yeah, I would say nobody's afraid to like drive. Like if you've been driving for 20 years, you're not afraid to get your car and go drive down to the, the mall, right? Because you've done it so many times. It's just a boring thing. The first time you drive though, yeah. You know, you're, you're nervous and just do it so many times that you're not afraid.
2: Fear is just like a basically a lack of confidence. So yeah. just find ways to build up your confidence around that thing and you're not going to be scared of it anymore.
1: No, absolutely. It's like when you realize how irrational fear is and, and I don't mean like fear is wrong or fear is. I mean, in the sense of the things we are often afraid of aren't the scariest things, like like you're saying, where it's like driving. Like driving is one of the things most likely to kill you, yeah. you know, it's like, <laughs> not afraid of driving. You know, we're afraid of terror, terrorist incidents. And no. those almost never happen. <laughs> you know, it's like, I mean, uh, Bruce Schneier is a security expert and he's he's just got a great quote where he says, like, anything on the front page of the newspaper, I don't worry about because that's never going to happen to me. Yeah. You know, You know, a 60-year-old guy <laughs> dies of a heart attack is never on the front page of the newspaper. Some electrifying plane crash is. So in the same way, it's like the things that scare us are often the things that, you know, are are actually the least threatening. And and then we then we get in a car and drive 75 miles an hour on a highway, and yet you, know, you think you're in control. Yeah, but the guy next to you could be drunk, yeah. you know, and you can't control. So, you know, our fears are often grossly misaligned with the actual threats involved.
0: Yep. I love that. I love that. And, and just because I like translating this general into specific real estate again, like imagine you're trying to buy a, a piece of real estate. You want to flip your first house, we'll say, right? Like you can learn a ton about it, right? We've done tons of podcasts. There's a million books out there. Go to your library, go to Barnes and Noble, find a book or two or five or 10, learn everything you can about it. Find some local flippers in your area. You can get to know like all of a sudden that, then you know everything about it. Then a low stakes way to kind of get involved is very easily is, work with somebody who's already doing it, like go volunteer to be on their crew, cleaning out ugly, nasty, gross properties, right? And that, like, yeah. if nothing else, you got a little bit of low stake or just go and analyze a bunch of deals that we talked about earlier. If you analyzed a hundred deals over the next few months, like there's no money involved at all. You can't screw that up. Like, But you'll gain the confidence to know that you're not gonna screw it up when you actually pull the trigger. And then when you actually do a deal, do something small, start with something small. It's not, a, it's not bad to go buy one deal that's not gonna Great. make you a lot of money. At least you got something, next time you can go bigger. So. Very Absolutely. cool. All right, well, let's let's get out of All here. Right. Head over to our last section of the show, which we call our famous four. This is the world famous famous four. These are the same four questions we ask every guest every week. But of course, being that this is not a real estate show specifically, I'm going to tweak the first question a little bit. Normally, we ask, "What is your favorite real estate book?" And Eric, if you have one, you can say it. But I'm, I'm also curious, what do you read like blog wise? What do you enjoy reading? Like, what are the sites that you just to kick out of reading
1: blog-wise. I mean, one of the best websites I, I really enjoy reading is uh, Marginal Revolution, which is basically the, it's the best economics blog on the internet, and some of the posts are, like, way beyond my ken in terms of economics, but uh, Tyler Cowen, uh, who, uh, and Alex Tabarrok also uh, writes on there, is, uh, he, dude, just collects so much interesting information, you know, just a variety of really cool, insightful stuff. He has links every day to really interesting articles. And uh, I always learn something where whenever I go there. So, Marginal Revolution is a great site. Ryan Holiday, a fantastic source of interest, um, interesting stuff, often about, you know, history, productivity, a lot of great stuff about Stoicism, Stoic thought. You know, uh, Tim Urban's Wait But Why uh, has some very I awesome, say, long form. Tim's, <laughs> Tim's a great, a great guy guy tim urban site is is uh is you know is phenomenal yeah. uh and um you know and in terms of business wise josh kaufman puts out some great stuff as well he wrote the personal mba yeah. which is a, you know phenomenal phenomenal book uh so those are a few of the a few of the people i i do my best to never miss on the internet
2: awesome awesome all right Dave right on all right so what is your favorite business book Ooh, that's tricky. There's a lot of
1: them. One I would definitely say is Dan Pink's book Drive, which is all about uh, motivation, which is really, really critical. In terms of leadership, The Hard Thing About Hard Things is, uh, is a great book by Ben Horowitz. Adam Grant's book, uh, Give and Take, is a really great book. If you feel like you're a little bit too nice and maybe you're getting exploited uh, in the business world, uh, that is definitely a book to read. And, you know, again, Josh Kaufman's personal MBA is phenomenal. Cal Newport is great for uh, productivity. His book, Deep Work, is phenomenal. Uh, there's a lot of great business books.
0: Awesome. I, I've I read Deep Work. I haven't read the other one, so I'm going to yep. pick up a bunch of books now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dave? All right. What are your hobbies? What do you do beside this stuff? Uh, Well, we we were talking
1: about my work-life balance problem earlier and uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, No, I, I, yeah, my hobby, none, none. I should be working right now. Um, No, I, you know, my my hobbies. I loved. I love to read. I love to learn. So luckily, that is really well aligned with with what I, I do. That besides that, I'm a huge documentary buff. Love love good documentaries, and uh, I spend a lot of time at the gym. That way, I that way I I burn off all of this stress, which is uh, <laughs> constantly accumulating. Uh, but no, I mean, so basically, going to the gym, spending time with friends, and I love to read, and yeah, documentaries are the guy. Still have not gotten to Ken Burns. Via Vietnam, just like 18 parts. Oh,
2: how it's was it? Long. It's <laughs> good. I, I was just really hungover one day, so I just watched it for like six hours. It's a perfect thing to watch.
1: I'm not I'm not moving for a day. And this will, yeah. this will take just all day. plant
2: myself on the couch and just watch this for a really long time. There you go, ma'am All right. So uh, on
0: on that note, before I move to the last question, just two 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 very serious questions number one what can you what do you bench you're a gym guy what do you bench? <laughs> and while you're thinking of that uh the second question was uh oh shoot what was i gonna ask oh yeah favorite documentary
1: oh geez favorite documentary I, I would have to give that i would have to give that a lot of thought uh i can tell you i can tell you some recent ones sure i absolutely loved icarus which is a netflix original is phenomenal uh, the Armstrong Lie is phenomenal. Command and Control was a PBS uh, documentary It was really great. Uh, the Bomb was a great one on PBS. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of them. I don't know off the top of my head, but any of those is gold. I, mean, I don't watch any
0: documentary ever, so I'll have to uh, check some
1: of those uh, out. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So, the, Ar- Ar- the Armstrong Lie I will call out as fascinating because basically – Alex Gibney shot a whole documentary about Lance Armstrong's final tour to France before the steroid scandal broke. And then when he went into the editing room, the steroid scandal broke. And he's like, oh, my God, like, what am I like this? I have I just shot uh, hundreds of hours of lies. And he went back to Lance Armstrong and said, you lied to me. And then so basically he has all the footage and then he adds in Armstrong telling the truth during it and wow. it's just mind. there's no way you could have deliberately awesome. made this documentary so like you have Lance Armstrong on camera during it saying like oh I've never cheated I've never anything and then you have Armstrong going oh yeah you see that truck in the back yeah that's where we kept the uh, the testosterone and, wow. and it's like it's mind blowing
0: wow alright I'm gonna I'm definitely watch that one now oh and can you bench me I'm like 200 uh, <laughs> what right.
1: 200 you mean 200. one arm <laughs> one Two arm 200 <laughs>
0: With your mind is what I meant. Come on.
1: (laughs) If if you could keep it undistracted and I could focus on the bar for more than four (laughs) seconds, uh, then maybe, but I don't, what were we talking about?
0: (laughs) We were talking about benching. I'm going to move on to the last question though. Uh, At least my last question. Overall, what do you believe, if you had to sum it up in a sentence or two, what separates successful people from all those who give up, fail, or never get started with what they're trying to accomplish?
1: I think it's really that critical issue of alignment first and foremost knowing yourself what are your strengths what are your weaknesses and the best way to do that objectively is ask your friends they know you better than you know you very often uh, i've done this and if you can and if you can do it anonymously even better so if you have a friend send like a four question survey to five of your best friends. And then they re- respond to the one friend who strips all the names off the answers so they can be anonymous and you don't know who said what. You will get some very objective feedback about what you're knowing, your strengths, knowing your weaknesses. And then, uh, quote unquote, uh, as Boris Groisberg, uh, Harvard Business School says, pick the right pond. So I know these are my strengths. Here's a company. Here's a field. Here's a role that rewards those. Yeah. So, you know, you could be the best drummer in the world. That's not going to help you if you work for Apple. You know, Apple does not big on drumming. And on the other hand, you know, hey, if you are the greatest, you know, if you're great at statistics, then, hey, fantastic. Maybe you should look at a job in econometrics or you should or you should look at all the jobs in marketing these days. Require that. What companies, what roles value those strengths? And like I said, with intensifiers, value your weaknesses. You know, I'm argumentative. Okay, great. You know, be a litigator. I'm I'm you know, I am stubborn as hell okay great be an entrepreneur so really it's a matter of know thyself honestly and then pick the right pond the alignment between those two I believe that leads to success in almost any area
2: I love it great all right Dave want to take us out all right where can people find more about you
1: my book is Barking Up the Wrong Tree. It's a Wall Street Journal bestseller. You can find it on Amazon or any bookstore, Barnes and Noble, you know, iTunes. And my blog has a really difficult to pronounce URL. So if you just Google "Barking Up the Wrong Tree" blog, or Google my name, Eric Barker, that will take <laughs> you to the website. And the best way to follow what I'm doing is I send out a weekly email every Sunday with my with my latest blog post. And that's the best way to to kind of keep up with the research I'm looking at. Everything there is evidence backed. I either look at research talk. To experts and talk about how to improve in uh, every area of life. And I try not to make it boring.
0: Awesome. I like it. All right. Well, Eric, thank you so much for All being right. here today. Thanks, this was a lot man. of fun. And yeah, I look forward to everybody else getting to read your book as well because it was fantastic. So
1: thanks for being here. Thanks. Thanks so much. It's great to be here, guys. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks, man. Bye.
0: All right. Big thanks to Eric for coming on the show today. That was that was pretty awesome, wasn't it, Dave?
2: Yeah, I really liked it. He's a funny dude. Yeah, he was. Uh, and I learned a lot. I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny because he says he's an introvert, but it's – like a lot of introverts are actually pretty funny,
2: but – you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and didn't, I wouldn't have guessed that when you asked that question, I thought he was going to say extrovert even made a joke about being an introvert. So I don't know, maybe my understanding of what's an introvert and what's an extrovert is completely off. Yeah.
0: Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe it's one of those things that's like a label that we attach that there is no such thing. Uh, like I'm a millennial. I don't really like labels, which is (laughs) anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, all right. So yeah,
2: very, very cool. I thought it was great. Yeah. I think, I think it was a lot of stuff, not just about real estate investing. Obviously there's great information in there if you're looking to get started and how to make progress every single day towards working towards your goal. But I just thought the conversation about work-life balance and how to, you know, have goals that are not just financial was was really interesting and it will help you become a better investor as well. Like if you have a well-balanced life, you're going to be able to stay at it longer. Uh, you're going to be happier while you're doing it and probably more likely to be successful. That's true.
0: And are you going to do any
2: stickles? Those uh, the, the donate money to the charity? So I wanted to say, but we moved off. But I had heard of the gym one. There's actually an app called I think it's called Gym Pact or oh, something. Oh yeah, yeah, I used to have that, you yeah. At, You like bet someone, right? Yeah, yeah, You're yeah. like, oh, if you don't show up, that you get their five dollars. So it's a competition. No, I should definitely do it. It's it's coming up to New Year's resolution time, so maybe I'll I'll think of a good one. I'll come up with a stick goal for it.
0: Do it, do it. I'll I'll let you know mine whenever. I got to come up with them too. I got to go and do some planning for the new year. So, anyway,
2: well, yeah, right on. Let's get out of here. Sweet. Well, yeah, it was uh, it was good to be back on the podcast. I'm I'm happy. And again, check out the the new uh, YouTube channel that we got and our new show. Uh, This comes out on Thursday. It comes out on Saturday. It's called Low Budget. Check it out.
0: There you go. All right, guys. Thanks so much for being a part of the Bigger Pockets community. And uh, all right, see see you all next time for BiggerPockets.com. My name is Brandon. This is David. Signing off.
1: You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from biggerpockets.com, your home for real estate investing online.
3: The market is changing, and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed you want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and BAM!